2: That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW group void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. The Eric Erickson Show across the state of Georgia. The phone number. You want to be a part of the program? 877-97-ERIC. 877-973-7425. Biggest story of the day around here. The weather. Yeah, I've got to do a radar reading for you guys. Why? Because, well, uh, the suckage continues. I, you know, I don't want to say don't rain because then... Gosh, we'll have a drought, uh, but we got a lot of rain. Now, it's clearing out in the northwest corner of the state. Rome, Dalton, Jasper, uh, that area up to Chattanooga starting to clear out. There's some some light rain coming back into the area, but it's clearing out. Uh, you got heavy stuff in the northwest corner of the state, the Habersham uh, County area of the state, the Commerce, Tekoa, going all the way up to Clemson and Anderson in South Carolina. Athens, you got more rain. Uh, the heaviest stuff, though, is a line from Elberton down to Columbus, uh, and it is about to impact the middle Georgia area. Parts of middle Georgia are already getting it. Uh, Barnesville, Thomaston, that area, uh, to basically to the uh, west of Macon. Is getting it. Bibb County, the the line of storms are right on the county line uh between Crawford County, Monroe County, and, and Bibb County. They're about to be impacting 475-75 on the north side of Bibb County. Very heavy rain. It's not raining at my house yet. It is dark and, and ominous. Uh for Scythe Georgia getting pounded right now. It's just about through the heaviest stuff. Uh Macon, you got about 30 minutes. If if you live in Macon, where I live, I I'm I'm On the north, if you know where the Bass Pro, I shouldn't be telling you people where I live, Uh, North Bibb County uh, near the Bass Pro Shop. Uh, You got about 15 minutes. Uh, Warner Robins, you got a little sprinkle in your area, but it's nothing big. Uh, Poor old Roberta is about to get slammed. Warner Robins, you're getting it. You get down to South Georgia. Now, you're going to, it's it's going to be a little while. By this afternoon, Valdosta is going to have storms at about 2 o'clock. Um, and it, those of you in the west eastern part of the state, well, later in the day, I'll be off the air by the time it hits you guys. But storms are coming and the temperatures are dropping. Uh, let me zoom in real quick, though, um, give you more precise. And the reason is we got so much stuff. Okay. Uh, in Clarksville, the Dimorest, uh, the Cornelia area, just so you guys up there paying attention to this, uh, those of you, in, again, Northwest side of the state, you're largely clear now, Northeast side of the state, you've got to, the rain is slacking off some, but there are more heavy bands coming. The, the storm is moving West to East, but the flow of it is moving, uh, Southwest to Northeast. So, hey, you got heavier rain pulling up from the Gulf of Mexico. It's going to be impacting those of you in the Clarksville area, Habersham County, northeast Georgia. Uh, those of you in the Athens area, you've got a more heavy rain coming. You thought you were spared. it slacked off. It's about to come back around on you and hit you again. And then you got those of us here in middle Georgia who are going to get clocked uh, momentarily uh, for Scythe. The worst of it is over for you, but you still got more rain. Now, uh, I, I've done weather for Georgia, for the rest of the nation. I've, You know, I sit down in the morning. I outline the show. I say, this is what I'm going to talk about, and then I never do it. I want to talk about something else because I got a question in email last night, and I answered it for that person, and then I saw this piece this morning by Sarah Isger at uh, The Dispatch, which, by the way, I've become a huge fan of The Dispatch. Random tangent. All of this stuff ties together. It's not that I lack focus. I promise. I am increasingly hesitant to pay attention to a number of voices in the media who I used to regularly pay attention to because they have been polluted by the presidency. They have either now taken the position that everything is bad or everything is good. When the reality is not everything this president does is hunky-dory and not everything this president does is, is sinister evil. And yet, depending on the voice you listen to, they either apologize for everything this president does or they d- attack everything this president does. There was a piece in the, in the Financial Times this morning that essentially the the, the elite are crying wolf and, and the angle that this guy put in is is global warming. That I- there is increasing scientific evidence among even skeptical scientists that yes, uh, the climate is changing. Yes, climate change is real. Yes, the world is warming. We still do not quite have a handle on how much of it is man made and how much of it is natural. Uh, but there is very clearly something going along on with climate. Yes, weather is, is your day to day. The weather today in Georgia is going to be rainy and stormy, and then it's going to be cold again. And it's very weird. We've had these very warm days, and then suddenly it crashes, it gets very cold, and then it's very warm again. And many of the the scientific models would say this is a factor of climate change and global warming. But I, the elite have for 30 years now been screaming to us that, that we're all going to die. And in the last six months, they've been telling us we got 10 years left, which every commonsensical person knows is not true. And so it tunes everybody out to the reality that there clearly is something going on with the climate and how best can we adapt to it? And that's part of the problem here is that uh, so many climate scientists who light, light themselves on fire over this issue, they don't want to discuss adaptability of climate. They want to discuss uh, eradicating humanity to save the planet. It's bizarre. In the same way, you've got people who they refuse to acknowledge that this president is capable of doing good. They refuse to acknowledge that this president's tax cuts did a good job in keeping the economy going. They refuse to acknowledge that despite all of our reservations about a trade war, this president actually played his cards well when it came to China. Now the Chinese coronavirus has otherwise upended the Chinese economy, and we are holding steady. Uh, the, The media told us all the doom and gloom dire war scenarios by moving the embassy to Jerusalem, and nothing happened. The media told us that we were in a world of hurt with with, uh, Iran, and we were going to start World War III, and nothing happened. Time and time again, the elite in this country who don't get their way make these sensational claims. They don't come true, and so now when we get to a point where things do start to come true, nobody believes them. So, for example, it was abundantly obvious that if the Democrats impeached the president of the United States— and the president was not going to be found guilty because he was not going to be found guilty, and no one in their right mind thought he was going to be found guilty, the president would of course be emboldened after impeachment and feel bulletproof for a time. Uh, the big issue is whether or not the president overplays his hand as a result of it, and he probably will. Both sides like to overplay their hands, and anyone with any lick of common sense could have told you this would happen, but elite opinion was impeach the MFR and and be done with it, and my apologies if you're offended by that, but that's what they actually said, except they used the real world word a, a member of congress actually led a group chanting that it was abundantly obvious to anyone with a lick of common sense this president was not going to be found guilty and it was abundantly obvious to anyone with a lick of common sense that when a president goes through impeachment is found not guilty he feels a little bulletproof and now they're shocked and appalled by the roger stone stuff they're shocked and appalled there there may be a pardon of roger stone what did you expect was going to happen it's just, it's sad and it's predictable. And and so I increasingly do not pay attention to a lot of these voices who are so predictable. And I, I increasingly pay, pay, like to pay attention to the people who are willing to, to say, okay, this is good, and this is bad, and, and this is right, and this is wrong, and and that leads me back to The Dispatch, where there's a piece by Sarah Isger this morning, I love The Dispatch, it's run by Jonah Goldberg, it's run by Stephen Hayes, uh, David French is there, Sarah Isger is there, and others, they're not Donald Trump fans, uh, none of them like the president, but they're willing to do deep dives into this administration on what they've gotten right, they're also willing to say this is wrong, but there's a piece there this morning about opposition research, I've gotten emails, yeah, I'm, see, I'm a professional, I can tie all these Random strings together. Uh, I, I've gotten. I got an email last night. How did this Bloomberg audio from 2015 come out so quickly? And Sarah Isger has a a piece up at the Dispatch on how opposition research happens. There are whole armies of people and outside firms that do opposition research these days. I, uh, you know, I've mentioned here before. I, I will mention it again. I'll, I'll tell you the story of my opposition research. Uh, I I ran a a County Commission race for a man named Bob Fountain. Uh, He was running running for County Commission chair in Bibb County. He was a wonderful human being. He passed away a while back. Um, Wonderful family, wonderful man, uh, loved him dearly. Very, very funny guy. He was running in a Democratic primary. Uh, he was running against the the son of a uh, prominent local judge. His sister was a state representative. Uh, I'm going to leave his name out of it. He's moved away. There's no sense to to drag this all back up. But the story's worth telling. How does opposition research happen? Well, you know, it happens by by boots on the ground. You go to the courthouse. You learn how to research. This is why being a lawyer was so helpful to me. Even though I hated practicing law, honest to goodness, I would probably still be a lawyer except there was this thing called a client, and they always had problems, and you always had the solution, and they never wanted the solution. And you wound up making yourself miserable, making lots of money, dealing with the solution they wanted, knowing it wasn't the right solution. And I was like, forget this. A buddy of mine was was a partner at my law firm. He he told me that I was an idiot. Well, he didn't say that. He said something more bluntly, uh, that I should go practice politics. That's what I love doing. I was running campaigns out of my office. And so I did. Uh, and I started running campaigns in my office. And, and one of those things was uh, Bob's race for county commission chairman in Bibb County, which was a fun, fun race. I had run congressional races and uh, legislative races in the state house and the state senate and and he wanted me to run his county commission race and and that is hyperlocal I was on city council down in in Macon for a worst job ever by the way uh, and, and while I'm doing all this stuff, I'm I'm running this race and it's just, it's hysterical. But the opposition research comes a lot of it by boots on the ground. That's why being a lawyer was actually helpful, even though I hated practicing law, learning how to research, go to the courthouse, figure out a deed, finding uh, transactions, bills of sales, things like that, being able to interview people, being able to depose people, being able to ask them questions, being able to read uh, legal transcripts and, and judicial transcripts and being able to figure out what happens and you compile all of this stuff into a giant dossier and you go. Go around and you look online. You do deep dives online. You build itineraries. Where has this person been in the last five years? And then you go, oh, this person in 2015 they went to the Aspen Institute. Mike Bloomberg did. Let's go to the Aspen Institute archives and see if there's video for when he was there. Let's figure out what happened. Let Let's interview the people there. Let's see if anybody got audio. You fly under the radar and you do this. And when you're a candidate, what you do is a very deep dive. Uh, If you're running for the federal office and and you go out and you hire someone and they go approach people who are there and say, hey, I, I understand you were there. Do you do you remember anything about Bloomberg? And typically what you do is you build a huge profile of all the people who may run and you start doing your opposition research a year before you even run before they're even thinking of running. You've already got your opposition research file built on them and you drip it out over time. So when the Bloomberg stuff happened. Uh, it, it, was, it was easy pickings. The file was already built on Bloomberg. Bl- Bloomberg was was a candidate and mayor of New York. He's made no secret about wanting to be president. They've already been doing this research on him. It, it was easy to find it, easy to blow it up, easy to get it out. They had it in an archive somewhere. They just did a word search. They found it, and they started leaking it out to friendly members of the media. So so I, I bring up the, the, the fountain race in Bibb County because his opponent, I was uh, in my office one day, and I got a random phone call from a random woman. And she said she wanted to talk to me about the opponent. She, she had dirt on him. Thinking, well, this is interesting. And she said she wanted to meet me. And she wanted to meet me now, if, if you're familiar with Macon, it's kind of a weirdly laid out place. I've always heard that it was laid out like ancient Babylon or some such. I, I don't know whether that's true or not, but that's what I was told when I first moved here back in the early 90s to go to Mercer. Um, and, and she wanted to meet me downtown on, uh, on Mulberry Street. At the end of Mulberry, there used to be a Wachovia building. It's now a Wells Fargo building. It's the Board of Education. There's now a nice little building down there. She wanted to meet down there. There's a little park area on Mulberry Street in Macon downtown. And so I went down there and she wasn't there. But when I got there, she called me and she said, okay, she she didn't actually want to meet there. She wanted to meet at the McDonald's. There was a McDonald's in in the medical center of central Georgia and she wanted to meet there. So I drove over there and I'm not this, she's not there. And she gives me a couple other places she wants to meet and, and she's clearly nervous and I'm trying to calm her down. I would love to talk to her about this. And she finally tells me. Uh, that I need to go to, the, what is it, the Washington Street Park. There's this federal building in Macon. It's the post office. And there's a little hill. They, they do a, a boxcar derby thing down this hill. And there's a little park on either side. It's very pretty down there. And there there's a little creek that runs through They bricked it in, so it's kind of like a, a little irrigation canal. There are little benches down there. She tells me if I would go down there, there were a series of benches. It was the third or fourth bench. I would find something under that bench. So go down there, and I get to the park, and I see there are park benches down along this little creek irrigation channel, and I walk over, and I see there's a plastic bag, and the plastic bag clearly has something in it that she wants me to see. She doesn't doesn't want me to know who it is who's giving me this. I've already figured out who it is, even though she won't admit it. And I walk into this park. And I walk down to the third bench. And there's something under the bench. And it's in a white plastic bag. And inside it, it looks like there's a Kroger bag. You know, Kroger bags are kind of tan, khaki-colored. So there's a white plastic bag. And in it, there's a khaki-colored plastic bag like it's from Kroger. And there's something in that bag she wants me to see about my client's opponent holy cow um, I, I looked out the window at commercial break and it still hadn't started raining and now it looks like the roof is going to come off across the street for me good gracious it's it, it's, uh, if you're in, for those of you listening along with me in Bibb County, <laughs> you, 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 buckle down, buckle up, uh, batten down the hatches, uh, rain is coming. If you're, if you're South of Macon, wow, it, it's about to hit you. If it's North of Macon, the gray area, you're about to get it. Okay. I reset here. Opposition research. So I, I'm, I'm running a campaign for county commission chair in, in Bibb County and the, the opposition, someone calls us a woman. says she has something, My uh, she leads me on a wild goose chase all over the city and finally she left me a package. It was a, a khaki plastic bag inside a white plastic bag underneath a park bench in Washington Street Park uh, in Macon, Georgia, down from the federal post office building in the, the Washington Memorial Library area. So I get this package and there's something in it. And for those of you who are younger than me, for, for you millennials in particular uh, and, and Gen Zers, there, there's the, there used to be this thing called a VHS tape. And there was a, a thing called a tape, a video player. And you would push this thing in and it, it was a magnetic tape and it had video features. You know what I'm talking about. It, it was a VHS tape. Like what on earth? So I take it back to my office. It's like, what's on this tape? and, uh, go upstairs. We have a room, there's a video player and I, I get one of the partners at the firm. I, I'm going to leave out who it is, but I know you're listening right now. And, and another, uh, a, a buddy of mine, who's a lawyer at the firm, who's now down in, in Thomasville. And we go into this room and we turn on this tape. And I was pretty sure that the person who left the tape was potentially the wife of the candidate we were running against. And we put in the tape and pretty immediately recognized that uh, this is that guy's office uh, at the Chamber of Commerce. Oh. The people enter. They ain't got no clothes on. (laughs) the opposite the opponent had been making amateur adult films in his office late at night with someone other than than his wife um (laughs) apparently she found the copy um yeah yeah, so, uh, but you know what? I, I got to tell you, I, I worked for, I, I told you guys that, that my candidate, Bob, I, I love the man dearly. He was a, a wonderful person and he would not let us do anything with it. He, the, the guy, his opponent was young uh, and dumb and he just, he wasn't going to, he wasn't going to use it against him. He refused to use it against him. Uh, wouldn't let us do anything with it, and of course I'm I'm campaigning, so it's like you gotta let me do something. You gotta let me spread copies around anonymously. You got nope. He was having none of it, absolutely none of it. Uh, wouldn't let us do anything with it. But you know, most opposition research is not that interesting. That one, very man. I, I because there are kids listening, we won't go into details, but let's just say it was a, it was it was it was bad. Um, it 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 was very bad and he wouldn't let us use it. Most opposition research is not like that. Most opposition research is... Uh, it appears the person is getting loans from someone uh, who he shouldn't be getting loans from, or th- they've given a speech somewhere that was off the record. Like uh, Mitt Romney his 48% remark, remember that in 2012, it was a waiter in the room who recorded him. You know, when I give speeches these days, I give a lot of speeches to off the record groups, uh, and I always presume I'm being recorded by somebody. Uh, and, and that's kind of increasingly becoming the norm here is people have cell phones and can to record, always presume that you're on the record. Also, uh, never go to your office at the Chamber of Commerce and, 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 and record amateur porn with someone not your wife uh, while you're married. That also, don't ever do that. Don't, 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 ever, don't ever be on the record either. But that's how now going full circle, that gets us back to the Bloomberg tape. Uh, The Bloomberg tape is is undercover audio where he was at an event thinking he was speaking off the record and someone recorded it. And the opposition researchers did a very good job. They've known he wanted to run for president. I'm sure someone's had it for a while and they're leaking all the stuff out about Bloomberg now. And that's not the only thing that's leaked out about Bloomberg. I like that music. That's Judah and the Lion. That's a great band. I really like them. They were in Atlanta a while back, and I got myself tickets. I was going to go by myself, and I chickened out, and... Uh, my buddy Chris Burns wants to w- w- wants to go with me to him, who guest hosts for me, who is my financial advisor, who is sponsoring this hour. Isn't that a great transition? Dynamic Money, his company, sponsoring this hour of the program and thank you to them. We couldn't do this but for sponsors like that uh, as we continue to grow our advertisers around the state and, and beyond. Uh, Dynamic Money, they, they really, they actually are my financial advisor um, and, and it's, it's kind of, you know, my wife and I thought about doing the Dave Ramsey approach and that's kind of what Dynamic Money does, although that they've they're local and, and I didn't have to go through the the whole school thing and and it, they work with us slowly over time. They're they're in Atlanta, but they they I mean I'm in Macon and I'm not going to drive to Atlanta every week to. To go through this stuff with them. So we do it by video chat and uh, they can do FaceTime, Skype, whatever around the state of Georgia. If you want someone to help you with your retirement planning, help you with your family budgeting, uh, teach your kids some financial skills, uh, consider dynamic money. It's dynamicmoney.com. Uh, good people. Great. I mean, just just they got a great concept going and they've really helped me tremendously with budgeting and all. Um, thank you to Dynamic Money for sponsoring. Uh, you know, I left off something with, with the, the opposition research story, which is kind of funny. Um, so my candidate actually lost. So one of my, I was actually, believe it or not, a very good political consultant, and very few of my clients lost. Uh, I had a very good win record. Uh, but, but sadly, my candidate Bob lost the Democratic primary. Uh, I was a Republican helping the Democrat. And, well, when he lost the primary, the Republican who was running uh, picked me up. Uh, as as his client as my client and i ran his race and and he wound up uh winning it was it was a great setup there oh local races in bibb county and, and in georgia in general can be dirty stuff uh speaking of local races and local things in georgia i want to keep it local right now i, I was going to start off with national stuff but frankly i'm tired of talking about all the national stuff and i've been wanting to talk about this for weeks and weeks i've got the mayor of valdosta on the phone with me mayor matheson how are you Good, Eric. How are you doing? I'm great. Thank you so much for joining me. And let me set the stage here for everybody. I, I saw this article weeks ago, and then we got bogged down. I had the flu. We had impeachment and everything else. Uh, but your your kayak tour down in South Georgia, getting people uh, to go down the river with you. I just thought the mayor's paddle idea was brilliant. Uh, and I wish there were other mayors around the state doing this and figured, uh, now that we're in every corner of the state, put you on and, and all the mayors can hear and say this is a a great idea for conservation and, and the environment and just getting people together. And I wanted to talk to you about it first. How long have you been kayaking?
3: Uh, uh, I don't know. Uh, I think I was in a canoe um, when I was about six and never got out and just uh, transitioned to kayaks, it's, it's been a lifelong pursuit. I, I,
2: I, well, so I bought one two years ago. I, I, and I, I researched it for a year. I bought one for, it took me a while. I finally bought one and I love it. I get out on Lake Juliet and make it. I'm too scared to go down the rivers cause I'm afraid I'm going to meet a snake or an alligator. <laughs>
3: <laughs> They're there for sure. Listen, so my wife said it's my only vice. I got, uh, I got four kayaks and a canoe at the house, and I'll, and I'll pick up another one before the year's out, I promise. <laughs> <laughs>
2: it's not a bad way to do it. So what, what was the genesis of, of the idea of the mayor's paddle?
3: So it's a, an ongoing issue. We're, we're part of the problem. Um, our sewer system crumbled in the city of Aldosta in the '09 floods. Um, waited two years for federal help, and it turned out that every burg in the United States was showing back up at their doorstep asking for help. So um, they they got out of that business. The federal government's out of helping communities rebuild their their water and sewer systems. Um, so we continued to experience spills while we tried to fund rebuilding our own, which we've done 140 million dollars later. So so. I got elected on December 5th. On December 6th, we reported a 7.5 million-gallon spill. So welcome to welcome to the, the mayor's <laughs> office. Trial by fire. <laughs> yep, and threw a whole lot of you-know-what at me day one. So after that uh, started to clean up, and after it tested clean, I, I uh, invited a bunch of the people to our south, a bunch of the governments to our south um, that were receiving all that and, and a bunch of the environmental groups here to uh, go on a mayor's battle with me. If we could spend five hours on that river, travel 11 miles that we did, and uh, be able to talk to each other as we drift on that that scenic beauty, then we're we're all going to feel a a little kindred spirit.
2: Well, you know, that raises a a question I wasn't intent on asking you, but we had Hurricane Michael come through a couple years ago. And y'all are still waiting down in South Georgia still on some federal aid to come down for that. And it just seems like you guys keep waiting on federal aid for things that never come.
3: Well, I'm going to change our slogan to a blessed community. That showed up. It, it caused a decent amount of damage for us, but it showed up on our doorstep and, and never entered the house. Well, that's um, everybody good. Everybody to our west um, absolutely devastated. Three weeks after Hurricane Michael, I was broadcasting the uh, VSU, the Valdosta State University um, football game against West Florida. So the drive over to Pensacola, e- Eric, it was horrific. I mean, wow. it moved me like nothing ever has to see that 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 devastation, to see entire pine fields flattened. It was just a yeah. They're they're another five years in recovery.
2: Wow, and you know Valdosta, I've I've gone down there now several times. I was speaking at VSU. A while back, we've got a a family whose their daughter was down there and I've I've gone down there visiting. I'm always struck by Valdosta having grown up in South Louisiana, uh, flat live oaks, the moss, and you've got a real small town feel. But then you start thinking about all the things that are in Valdosta and around it. it. You guys, it's a remarkable area down there.
3: Yeah, there's only 13 hub cities in the state of Georgia. We're the smallest of them, but we are a hub city. Everybody's country come to town when they want a good time, better restaurants and and uh, entertainment and, and the like. So um, we're proud of that fact. We've never really embraced that fact. So I, I think that's something I'm gonna I'm gonna work on doing. Make well, sure that we know that a lot of people rely on us for for
2: all that. What right now, as mayor, what, what's the biggest issue that that you think the city's facing?
3: I got a couple of things I got to get done. In the first year, I got to get transportation done. Uh, we're 30 years worth of promise and nobody's ever delivered. They they do a cost analysis. They say, you know, whether it's the haves not supplying for the have nots, um, whatever the case may be, it's just never got done, Eric. And, and uh, I've got a couple of on demand models that I'm going to push at a retreat that we're doing first week of, of March. I'm going to see if I can't convince seven smart council people that that's the way to go. I've got cost analysis on it and otherwise, and I I think I can have it in place by October 1st.
2: I I know there are a lot of years that listen here during the legislative session, members of the legislature and the governor's office listening, and a lot of people from north of I-20 come on the program. Uh, In fact, I believe you're the first elected official I've had on who is south of (laughs) I-20. And what would you tell the folks who who get so I-20 and north focused uh, about South Georgia and, and, and the needs down there?
3: Well, I'm going to say sorry to him cuz we got the right governor in place right now. Um he's uh he's visited every single county um in the entire state and did it for 8 years as secretary of state and uh, his his rural development push and the previous governor before him on the way out um mean it's time for us to shine. So I like to think that everything's not going into into that nice four-county area you live in.
2: <laughs> well, listen, I, I'm in Macon, so... We,
3: <laughs> oh, okay, gotcha. Thank you.
2: Sorry. Yeah. No, 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 That that's fine. I, I, I get it. I, I guess i, I got to be the vo- voice for South of I-20 uh, on the program when everybody comes on and they start talking about rural development. I'm like, wait a second, y'all are talking about mountains. You're not talking about the rest of us.
3: <laughs> well, well, listen, I'll give you... I, I often use Macon as, as kind of the bad example... And Warner Robins is the good. Oh, so do um, I. Oh, okay, yeah, you, you have to. So, um, you guys had your your chance thirty years ago, and and kind of blew it in Macon, mm-hmm. in Bibb County. And and if you look to to the north, they're kind of living by, hey, we got a bad example to the south, and everything everything they've done seems to gold,
2: right? Yeah, very much so in Monroe County, and then Warner Robins South. So, let me get back to to the mayor's paddle, which is one of the big reasons I wanted to have you on. Is what would you say to to local officials around the state? Because I know, I mean, in, in my area, we're dealing with the the um, the river keepers up here in the Altamaha watershed with Oconee and, yep. and the Ackmulgee. And I, I don't know that enough people appreciate the natural resources. We all got screens. I got a kayak that collected dust this past year. Um, what would you say to local officials trying to get them to get their citizens back out into nature and, and experience it beyond a screen?
3: Oh, listen, uh, blue ways. Just remember that word, blue blueways. We got three uh, minor waterways through here. And to our south, there's major waterways like the Swanee River and others. Uh, I, want, I, I want the citizens to enjoy them. Imagine a two-hour, a 45-an-hour-long two paddle uh, two miles down um, that everybody can go enjoy to have a little outfitter. This is, um, this is ecotourism, and, I, and it's the future, and it's what millennials want. And I, uh, So let's take good care. Let's be good stewards of our waterways, and then let's let all citizens enjoy it.
2: Now, I I noticed from the report, and this is I'm looking at Valdosta today when this happened, that you you didn't get the the chairman of the county commission down in Lowndes County to get in a <laughs> kayak. What are we going to do to get him in a kayak? <laughs> I, I think he wanted me to bring my canoe. He did come
3: and uh, say a few words before, but he was not going to hop on the river. Well, um, he, we go ahead. Uh, he's he's an exceptional guy, and he just announced that he's going to run for reelection, and I look forward to working with him for the next four years after that. So. Um, we're going to get a lot done. Um, believe it or not, I think we just said a Wednesday sit-down we're one of the last counties and cities that cannot come to an agreement on a, a service delivery strategy agreement, and we're going to get that done next week. So. Oh
2: well, God bless you on that one. I had to deal with that with Macon Bibb County when was on, when oh. I was on City Council. What a what a mess those can be.
3: <laughs> Listen, you, I, I don't want to. And then two years after that, the lost agreement. So yes,
2: <laughs> look, I, I don't want to take up a ton of your time, but I appreciate it, and it was such a great idea. I saw that story and thought, you know, you. more people should do this. That the the economic resources that these rivers are, they keep getting clogged up and dirty, and just what a great way to highlight it i appreciate you doing it
3: yeah it was a nice way i know i knew it wasn't going to be easy questions all the way down the thing i knew it was going to be tough and hard but uh by the end of it i think we all realized we we're working the, the same issues so
2: well listen thank you very much mayor good luck to you getting the service agreement hammered out
3: yeah, thank you, Eric. Thanks for
2: the time. Absolutely. That's Mayor Scott Matheson from down in Valdosta. He organized the the mayor's paddle where he got as many people as he could to paddle down the river with him in Valdosta, highlighting the the ecotourism aspect, the need for clean water. You know, we've got this issue uh, in middle Georgia. There's a growing issue. It's actually made it to the legislature, and a lot of you are going to be hearing about it regardless of where you live, uh, on the issue of Lake Juliet and the uh, the Georgia power plant there and the issues of, of water, uh, coal ash and minerals leaching into water. There are a lot of people who have uh, dirty drinking water now. And it's become a health problem issue. The legislature having to deal with some of the, the problems, and it looks like there may need to be some sort of expansion of land purchases from Georgia Power. I, I, honestly, I, I've a friend of mine, in Macon, uh, Seth Clark, he's running for city council. Great guy, or county commission. They're great, great guy. He's been highlighting this issue for me for a while. Really invested in this issue. And I am, I'm not an, I'm not an outdoors guy. Good Lord, you people! I, I am, I am a magnet for mosquitoes. My kid and I, my oldest, is allergic to mosquitoes. Uh, she goes outside. I like to go outside with her because I'm a magnet for mosquitoes. And they, they look at me and they look at her and they go with her. So as long as she's around, swelling up and breaking out into hives from mosquitoes i'm i'm totally untouched the moment she goes inside suddenly they're on me i I hate going outside but i love getting on lake juliet in my kayak and it's it's becoming an issue and i'm increasingly mindful that we've got such great resources in the state with the oconee the altamaha the the um the, the akmolgi the flint and and we gotta we gotta do right by all of that even i'm not a huge environmentalist and environmentalism it's i'm I'm much more pro-business but obviously if if we're polluting everything we got problems and i just commend mayor matheson for thinking outside the box as a way to highlight it get people out on the river with him let them ask him any questions they want float down the river see the natural beauty of it and and uh go take care of it uh take care of the watershed we got to take care of our watershed middle georgia and everywhere else in the state needs to take care of theirs now uh, i want to pivot uh we got to get into presidential politics i have avoided it like the plague if we really have to but when we come back there's a local connection to a national story and i want to spend a few minutes on this you know the the lion dog face pony soldier turns out it was a student from mercer university here in georgia want to be on the show call eric now at 877 97 eric that's 877 973 7425 have you heard the audio of the the lying dog face pony soldier thing listen to this audio of the vice president at the forum in new hampshire Hi,
4: my name is madison and i'm an econ student at mercer university and oh awesome um so i'm gonna be a little bit mean for a second okay so
2: (laughs) he takes his jacket off
4: um (laughs) So you're arguably the candidate with the greatest advantage in this race. You've been the vice president. You weren't burdened down by the impeachment trials. So, how,
2: or. No, notice, notice the crowd reacting as, as he's been a target of the president during the impeachment trial.
4: In the participation. So how do you explain the performance in
1: Iowa
0: and why should the voters believe that you can win the national election? It's
5: a good question. Number one. I was a Democratic caucus. You Ever been to a caucus? No, you haven't. You're a line dog-faced pony soldier. You said you were, but you're, you're now. You got to be honest. I'm going to be honest with you.
2: Okay, we can stop it there. I, did you hear how he said it? And and the crowd laughing. He's used this line before, a number of places. She she apparently feels victimized. Is 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 all upset. Um, y'all, I got to tell you. I'm, I'm having, I've just had enough of the easily offended. He he did not mean it that way. You can tell from his voice. You can tell from the rest of the crowd reaction. And, and Dragon says she's apparently not a supporter of his anyway. Um, I, this reminds me of this audio out of the University of Virginia. Uh, they've got a multicultural space now at the University of Virginia. A multicultural space multi multiple mini cultures Uh, all are welcome and we get this
4: public service announcement excuse me if y'all didn't know this is the msc and frankly there's just too many white people in here and this is a space for people of color so just be really cognizant of the space that you're taking up because it does make some of us poc's I'm comfortable when we see too many white people in here. It's only been open for four days. And frankly, there's the whole university for a lot of y'all to be at. And there's very few spaces for us. So keep that in mind. Thank you.
2: A P, the, our, us POCs, that would be people of color. Not a POC, a, a POC, a, a, a people of color. You've got, you people have the whole university that we don't, wait a second, you're a University of Virginia student. Do you not have the whole university as well? Is there, there there are no POCs allowed signs around the university? No, you can do it too. And, and, and now that this, this young lady from Mercer who she, she told the and Telegraph that, um she it was kind of insulting for people to say it was a joke it was it was quote uh, kind of humiliating to be called a liar on national tv by the former vice president instead of answering the question straightforward his immediate response was to attempt to invalidate me by exposing my inexperience is she admitting is she admitting that she hadn't been to a caucus because uh, he says, "I was a caucus. Have you ever been to a caucus?" She nodded her head, and he said, "No, you haven't. You're a dog-faced pony soldier, drawing laughs." And, and and now she says, instead of answering the question straightforward, his immediate response was to attempt to invalidate me by exposing my inexperience. So is she now admitting that in nodding her head to the vice president, she actually wasn't telling the truth? Y'all, come on. It dragging this story out, uh, the 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 victim aspect of it, I, I'm, and the fact that it's still a story, this long, the media is now trying to dig a hole for Joe Biden. And Joe Biden deserves it because he's run a terrible race. He's been erratic. He's been odd. He uses lines like this that that are, are outmoded and archaic. He is clearly, I mean, it's elder abuse for him to continue running, frankly it is it's it's elder abuse uh against joe biden for him to continue running it's it's sad to see but trying to 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 crest the wave of of oh he was insulting me no this is he's used this line multiple times in the past it's a line from an old john wayne movie i'm just come on and then you've got this girl at the University of Virginia who can't handle that there are white people in a multicultural facility. When did this is so Orwellian? When did multicultural mean no white people allowed? I thought multicultural meant, meant every everyone was allowed of every culture. Multicultural, multiple cultures. Is it multiple cultures except for white culture? why have people gotten so sensitive and and now this whole rise of socialism you know the young voters Turned out they didn't turn out in overwhelming numbers in New Hampshire, but when they did, they tended to vote for Bernie Sanders because they want socialism. Why? We should be mindful. The rest of us, all of us should be mindful that uh, millennials by and large got left behind when the economy rebounded, when Barack Obama was president. And yes, let's be honest, the economy began to rebound when he was president, not Donald Trump, uh, but it still left behind a lot of millennials living in mom's basement. And so naturally they believe the free market has failed them. And so they want socialism. They're ignorant of history. You've got the New York times peddling this 1619 garbage project, uh, rewriting American history and them. But man, the younger you are, the more sensitive you are, get a spine and, and just deal with it. I mean, don't let it fester that that's people let things fester and want to hug it out or some such just a quick time out from the show to thank one of my favorite sponsors, one of the products I use on a daily basis multiple times. That would be my Quip electric toothbrush. And I really am a customer and I really was before they started advertising for me. That's the way I like to do these ads. I like to endorse a product I'm already using and Quip is one that I use, my wife uses, and both of my kids use. And we've used it before I started advertising. They make great electric toothbrushes. They're not the super fancy expensive ones and you get a better clean. Why do you get a better clean? Well, because the quip you brush your teeth for two minutes and it pulses every 30 seconds so you know how to reposition it in your mouth and for those two minutes, Dennis wants you to brush your teeth for two minutes, you get a great clean with great sonic vibrations that really get your teeth clean. And you know I've got Invisalign braces so I've got those attachments. A lot of stuff gets stuck in them and behind the little attachments and with the Quip, I can always clean my teeth the way they need to be clean. It is a great toothbrush and it's not going to break the bank. It's just well made you can tell it's made by Dennis and designers together if you go to getquip.com ericsson right now you can get a quip and you can start with a brush head refill subscription where every three months they send you a new brush head they even include a battery and you get your first refill for free that's your first refill free at getquip.com ericsson it's g-e-t-q-u-i-p.com ericsson e-r-i-c-k-s-o-n the good habits company. Hello and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here the Eric Erickson show. The phone number, you want to be a part of the program? It is 877-97 Eric 877-973-7425. If you would like to be a part of the program, feel free to call in. Oh, What is this? Someone leaving me voicemail during the show. Oh yeah, okay. Um now people calling my cell phone while I'm on the radio. You can listen and hear I'm here. Okay. Uh, r- rain in Northwest Georgia. It is clearing out uh, here in middle Georgia. I don't even know the radar. It, it's raining uh, here in middle Georgia. It's cleared out of Bibb County. It's pounding Houston County right now. It's it's moving out towards Lawrence County. Uh, if you're in Athens right now, you still got rain. You're going to have rain now for probably another hour in Athens. Uh, same in, in Clarksville because it, it's the, the storm at front is moving west to east, but the the rain is blowing uh, north, uh, southwest to northeast. Y'all, I'm half Swedish. I can't get directions right. I'm sorry. Uh, nonetheless, uh, you, you get my point. It, it, it's a wet day here in Georgia, and it stretches now this line all the way down to south Georgia. Albany, you're going to be getting it here shortly. Americas, you're in it. Uh, Montezuma. Uh, Perry and Warner Robbins are on the bleeding edge of it. It's just now going through Milledgeville, Sparta, um, up to Washington, Georgia, Warrenton's going to get it here. Lincolnton over to Augusta. You'll be having it here shortly across the state. Look, my job in the mornings is to keep you people informed and dry, and now we can move on to other things. Um, I, I should say, though, I note the New York Post is admitting that the girl that from Mercy University that Joe Biden called the lion dog face pony soldier actually is now admitting she had not been to a caucus, um, though she nodded her head uh, to tell Joe Biden she had been to a caucus. There is some breaking news happening right now worth covering. Uh it is 8 after the hour and uh, Hope Hicks is returning to the White House. Maggie Haberman from the New York Times uh has this tweet out Hope Hicks to return as counselor to the president and senior advisor working for communications but not for Jared Kushner. She's been gone for 2 years. Uh, Hope Hicks, a close aide to President Trump, who resigned nearly two years ago, will return to the White House in a new role. Ms. Hicks, 31, worked for Mr. Trump, this 2016 campaign from its inception, and followed him to the White House after he was elected, eventually becoming communications director. Her return will come as his re-election campaign intensifies, and as his advisors say the superstitious president has talked about recreating some aspects of that first race. Ms. Hicks' title, when she left behind her influence with Mr. Trump, who felt more personal comfort with her than with almost any other advisor, Advisor. But on her return, she will report to Jared Kushner, the president's in law and senior advisor, and will work with White House political director Brian Jack. Her title will be counselor to the president. Oh, um, oh, no, 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 I'm sorry. I, I, I misread her the tweet. Hope Hicks to return as counselor, working not for comms, but for Kushner. Got that reversed. Uh, There is no one more devoted to implementing President Trump's agenda than Hope Hicks, Mr. Kushner said. We are excited to have her back on the team. The press secretary, Stephanie Grisham, described Ms. Hicks as one of the most talented and savvy individuals I've come across. She's always impressed me with her quiet, confidence, loyalty, and expertise. So the president, gearing up for re-election, wants people around him who he is very comfortable with, uh, and he will get Hope Hicks. Now, we need to turn to the Bernie problem. I want to play... This clip from Chuck Todd. Chuck Todd is being blown up today uh, from Meet the Press. Being blown up today for this clip. I kind of want to defend Chuck on this. Now, Chuck and I are friends. I I, I know Chuck. Uh, we I'm. Well, I'm not going to say that. I'm. We don't always agree. Put it to you that way. Increasingly, we don't agree. Um, he is a very nice guy and, and you can be a nice guy and I can disagree with you and that. That's all fine. But he's being blown up for this. And, and I want to I want to make a couple of points on this regarding the Bernie Sanders stuff. Listen, first of all, I don't know why some people I feel like the only people that are going out on the limb and calling Bernie Sanders a front runner. They have an, other reasons to call him front runner. It feels like there's no front runner right now. One person leads delegates. One person um, has a lock on a chunk of the party. Well, we don't know where this goes.
3: Uh, yeah, we don't know where it's going, but I, I, I'm willing to take some guesses. I think I know who the nominee is going to be. Oh well, I go think for it's it. going to be Michael Bloomberg.
2: <laughs> I mean, the thing is, you can—you know—that's a, that's a pretty bold statement for a guy who has yet to appear at the debate stage. <laughs> for a guy who has ever debated a real set of candidates. You're, that's a big statement. I know. No, I'm looking at, I'm looking, at, I'm, 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 looking <laughs> I, I'm looking at for a party that
1: is obsessed with beating President Trump.
3: Yeah. They're, I think they'd be really jumpy about
1: going to Bernie Sanders. That's clear. I think there are enough things where if, if you told me today
3: that Pete Buttigieg was going to be president of the United States mm-hmm. someday, I'd absolutely believe that. Yeah. But, you know, when you're 38, you ought to be 48. When you look 28, mm-hmm. Mayor of South Bend, not Indianapolis, and I don't think there's much of a Anti-gay, yellow, any you know, in the in the in the in the Democratic Party, but there's a skittishness. Do you want to take
2: a risk? Right. Do you want to, you know, it, 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 whether yeah. it's the- but nero well, they say, all feel. I, would I, say I will the- say this, Nero. I, mm-hmm. I look at them all. and I'm like, I could make a risk case on all of them.
4: Yeah, I mean, I right. Think
2: Everybody that- has a big. Everybody's a big gaping hole somewhere. So a lot of people are burning up Chuck Todd for for his intro there. Of he doesn't want to call Bernie Sanders the front runner. You shouldn't. You shouldn't. Uh, Let me give you the percentages. Bernie Sanders, New Hampshire, uh, 25% to Buttigieg, 24%. Bernie Sanders, uh, first round Iowa caucus, 26% to Buttigieg, 25%. When you look at the candidates, uh, we're, we're splitting basically 75% against Sanders, 25% for Sanders in these, in these first two races. You get a Joe Biden dropping out. You get a Mike Bloomberg coming in. They begin to consolidate. The problem, of course, is Joe Biden can't drop out of the race. Even if Joe Biden wants to drop out of the race, uh, he can't drop out of the race. And he can't drop out of the race because of this. Anderson, in my view. The American people want a government,
3: finally, that represents all of us, not just wealthy campaign contributors and the billionaire class. And that is why we're going to win in South Carolina, in Nevada,
2: and we're going to beat Donald Trump. Because if Joe Biden drops out, Mike Bloomberg, he ain't on the ballot in South Carolina. And South Carolina is not as lenient as New Hampshire when it comes to write-ins. So Bernie Sanders would do quite well on the ballot in South Carolina, and why would he do quite well on the ballot in South Carolina? Y'all, listen, uh, I'm I, I don't I don't want to make a big deal out of this, but by his own data, Buttigieg is gay, and that's not playing well with black voters in South Carolina. That that's his own in house focus grouping. He may play, Buttigieg continues to be a candidate white people like. He is not a candidate. Black people like he's been in the race now for how long he's got high name ID. You know, Amy Klobuchar does very poorly among black voters as well. Uh, the difference between Amy Klobuchar and and Pete Buttigieg is that she has very low name ID among black voters. He has very high name ID abo- among black voters, and they don't like the fact that he's gay. And it, that's not even really that. that. That's somewhat a misstatement on my part. They don't care that he's gay. They don't like that. That's how he's defined. And they interpreted that as him defining himself. You know, it's interesting. We had somebody call yesterday who said, um, I'd done this entire thing on Buttigieg's own internal focus grouping, shows that black voters in South Carolina do not like the fact that he is known as the gay candidate as opposed to anything else. Uh, they're not even as concerned about his record on race relations in South Bend as they are. The fact that that it's kind of, they, they feel like their nose is being rubbed in the fact that he's gay, and they don't like that. They don't care that he's gay, they just don't like to have their nose rubbed in the fact. When many of them are churchgoers, they know what the Bible says, and, and they feel like they're being pitted between their candidate and God. Interesting, interesting uh, juxtaposition there between black black Christians and, and white Christians who embrace Donald Trump despite all of his flaws. None. Nonetheless, um, it's a problem for Buttigieg, and he knows it's a problem for him. And if you look at a Buttigieg event now, they are well-crafted, well-staged, multiracial, as diverse as possible. And interestingly enough, black voters may go for Mike Bloomberg over Buttigieg. I mean this goes I didn't play this here yesterday the Joy Reid audio listen to Joy Reid yesterday on MSNBC talking about this phenomenon.
1: And you know what, what I was saying in the break is that this is you know this is sort of a focus group of white voters in the northeast in these two states <laughs> yeah. right in these two states what I see there is is that the people coming out of New Hampshire none of that none of those people have resonance with black voters none of them do. The one who has the top three, right? No, the no. ones who have resonance are Biden who's getting crushed. And if he doesn't work out, what I'm hearing from black voters consistently, if Biden goes down, they're going to Bloomberg. Yeah.
0: How is
3: it possible, though, that we're now, you know, 28 minutes away from having results knowing who the, you know, knowing what these top three finishers looks like? How do you get through two contests and not have anyone in the top three that has made any inroads None. <laughs> where, where Mike Bloomberg, it's,
0: it's all his for the taking? Yeah, when, when he you... gets screwed up, too, I'm not yeah, sure. Absolutely. But when you're losing
1: to the stop and frisk guy, you're doing something wrong. And Buttigieg <laughs> and, and... That'll be one of the enduring quotes from tonight. I mean, I mean, you're... How, how badly are you doing with black voters when you're polling below Mr. Stop and Frisk? They're doing
3: something let, let wrong. Let me ask you this.
2: Uh, yes, they are. They are, but nobody wants to... Have, have you noticed this in the conversations? And, and again, it, it's not to dwell. It's, it's to raise the issue because it's relevant by his own focus grouping, by his own data... Buttigieg is not doing well with black voters because he's gay. And you would be hard pressed to find a lot of media commentary. And it's like the New York Times, I think, is the one that did the story. And they moved on from it as quick as possible that they, they, we, we, we can't say that that black voters don't want to vote for the gay guy. You know, most of us don't care but for a lot of people, for a lot of evangelical Christians, it's an issue. And for a lot of uh, black voters who are Christian, who go to church regularly, it matters not that he's gay, but that's by w- which he's defined in the media. And there is, I mean, Joy Reid, you've got her saying they'll go for Bloomberg, and there's there's a good bit of speculation that they may just sit the race out. And, you know, th- this ties into something I mentioned yesterday with the president. He is really making an aggressive play for black support. The president came to Atlanta. He did that big push for black voters. And he has had black families on stage with him. He's been bringing them to Atlanta. He, I mean, he really, really has pushed this hard to have voters in the black community recognize they have a, a president of the United States who has their back, who wants their support and who is, is willing to do what it takes to get them on board. And he's got an economic case to make for them. And when you got him with a stop and frisk and everything else, it, it, it becomes a problem. I mean, this is the president's message from Atlanta back in November
5: We're undoing the damage inflicted by decades of corrupt Democrat rule and creating a historic tide of new opportunity and prosperity. We've done more for African Americans in three years than the broken Washington establishment has done in more than 30 years. We've created 6.7 million new jobs since the election. A number that, if I would have said that to the fake news media back there, look at all those cameras. If I would have said that, now if I would have said that during the campaign, I would have been excoriated. They would have gone wild. How dare he make 6.7 million new jobs, think of that, since the election. Last month, the African-American unemployment rate reached the lowest level ever recorded in the history of our country. (laughs) How do you lose that argument in a debate, right? The African-American youth unemployment, this was so important to me. You remember how high it was, 60 70%, has now reached the lowest number ever recorded in the history of our country, doing really well. The African-American poverty rate has reached an all-time historic low. Lowest it's ever been. For the first time ever, most new hires of prime working age are minorities and women. First time that's ever happened.
2: That was his message back in Atlanta. In November, one more from this, just so you get a sense of it all. You've stayed so long, to be honest. It
5: almost becomes a habit, right? It's a habit. Like it's, oh, we vote for a Democrat. Nobody knows why they vote for a Democrat. Look, if they don't do the job, you switch. You gotta switch. And some progress has been made, like never before, perhaps in such a short period of time. But under this administration, all of that has changed, and it's changing even
2: faster now.
5: We're undoing the damage inflicted by decades of corrupt Democrat rule.
2: I mean, he, he continued on in this vein, and now in the State of the Union address, he made the big play. You've got uh, you've got Van Jones raising red flags about uh, making a play. And, and you've got some deeply flawed Democratic candidates when it comes to the black community. You know, this president agreed with Mike Bloomberg on stop and frisk. Praised it, in fact, uh, on Twitter years ago. You know, there's always a tweet for something with Donald Trump. But he's also the one who signed into law the, the criminal justice reform measure. And he's got people in the in the black community who are willing to stand up and speak for him And you contrast that with Bloomberg, you see, I I just, I got to tell you, there are a lot of people out there saying that um, Bloomberg's the one, Bloomberg's the guy, the president fears him. There's a story by David Drucker, the Washington Examiner, that Republicans fear Bloomberg, they fear his money. I don't know. I I think the president can make a hardcore play for black voters and, and Second Amendment advocates and Build a unique coalition to stand up against Bloomberg. One that would catch the Democrats off guard because they don't understand the phenomenon. Democrats have become in such a bubble these days uh, that they they don't understand the phenomenon. Uh, real quick, before we get out of here, I need to let you know there's a severe thund- thunderstorm warning over in the in the Augusta area, McDuffie County, Columbia County, uh, Lincoln County uh in in georgia it spills over into south carolina if you're over in that area the the thunderstorms are really 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 strong they're headed into the augusta area uh they will be in the north augusta area here in the next 30 minutes be careful out there i'm scrolling instagram and commercial break and and seeing different people with this impossible or the beyond burger the i'm sorry i just want a burger from a cow I, i i don't want your your lab grown burger and oh, it's better for the environment. Yeah, but for years they've been telling us that that processed food is worse for us, uh, and that's like the ultimate processed food—lab-grown fake meat. I'll pass. Nothing wrong. And listen, I, I hear from people who say it's it's just fine. That's that's fine. Go 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 eat it, but just don't make me eat it. Uh, if you are in Athens, I, only because I'm a huge fan of drew and Ellie Holcomb, uh, really just, they're wonderful people and they are in Athens tonight and there are still tickets available at the classic center. Um, if you're, if you want to make uh, make a road trip over to Athens this evening to the classic center for the, an evening with drew and Ellie Holcomb, uh, you can still get, there are a few tickets left, uh, for the classic center concert. They're good people. They really are. I I just I I, I don't really know them well. Uh, Drew and I have traded notes a couple of times, um, but they're just wonderful people uh, and and fantastic musicians. Now we got other stuff we got to talk about. Um, you know, just just let me mention the story briefly because it's annoying and it goes into into my earlier tirade on on weak millennials and schools and indoctrination. Just listen to this. This is from Philadelphia, Maggie Gaines understands why her daughter's teacher at Valley Forge Elementary School went to the principal after the six-year-old pointed her finger at the teacher like a gun and said, I shoot you. What she doesn't understand is why she and her husband had to end up on a conference call with the Tredefren Township Police the next day, giving their names and ages to an officer. You don't understand. This is insane, Gaines recalls saying. Gaines was told that her daughter, Margot, who has Down Syndrome had triggered a threat assessment by the local school district and that under district policy, school officials had to call police. They feel they need to contact the police to find out if a student might have something else in the community they might not know about. All right, but my daughter is six and in kindergarten has Down syndrome. Are you trying to tell me you think she's out running around the rough streets of Tredifren, doing something? The incident involving Gaines' daughter happened in November but became public in late January when she attended a school board committee meeting and criticized district policy as criminalizing age-appropriate, nonviolent behavior of elementary students. Last week, a copy of her statement was shared on Facebook, drawing more attention. One of Pennsylvania's top-performing districts, uh, Tredifren. East town covers an affluent area of Chester County. The district declined to comment on the incident, but said a school board committee was evaluating its policy. Advocates see the district's actions as emblematic of a broader problem with schools over reporting student behavior to the police an approach. They worry is reinforced by a national push for schools to preemptively identify threats and prevent violence. Y'all just to review here, what we're talking about a six year old kindergartner with down syndrome pointed her finger at her teacher and said, I shoot you. <gasps> Get her. I, y'all, seriously, this is stupid. And and good for the mom for taking up for this. Have you ever met someone with Down syndrome? They're the sweetest people on the planet. The fact that the teacher felt compelled to to Report it to the authorities is stupid. It's like zero tolerance policies in school. I'm sorry. Uh, There are drug addicts in in high schools and you got your kid brings in a bare aspirin because they got a headache and they're treated uh, zero tolerance. Oh, you're bringing drugs to school. You're bringing an aspirin because you feel bad. It's so stupid. Zero tolerance policies. Well, we have taken teachers abilities to think for themselves out of schools and then expect them to teach our kids how to think for themselves? No, we are raising a bunch of mind-numbed automatons who get worked up over finger-pointing. Let, let me spend a minute on, on this Bloomberg thing. Well, before I get to the Bloomberg thing, I mentioned it before we went to break the story about the, the mom in, in Pennsylvania, her six-year-old Down syndrome daughter in kindergarten pointed her fingers at a teacher and said, I shoot you. Uh, the teacher felt compelled to call the police, and the police felt compelled to interview the parents and... The mom is understandably angry. A, a buddy of mine who lives in Peachtree City uh, listening said his his son has autism and was in the woods behind their house playing with his his bright orange and yellow Nerf gun. And a, a neighbor uh, was all upset about that. Oh, my goodness gracious. The neighbor called the police playing with a Nerf gun. So, OK, Bloomberg. Um, I <sighs> Bloomberg is untested. Bloomberg ran as a Republican in New York because there was no one running as a Republican, and he didn't want to run as a Democrat. So he ran as a Republican, and, and of course, you know both parties. You, you have someone unless you're David Duke, you, you run as a Republican. The Republicans are gonna gonna champion you, and if you if you run as a Democrat, the Democrats are going to champion you. And, and once it was no longer useful for him to be a Republican, he immediately became an independent. He's run as an independent. Now he's gone back to being a Democrat, which he was before he became a Republican. And he's always tried to find an easy way out. And this is his easy way out. He is, um, he is a guy who has avoided the initial primaries in caucus states. He's waiting for them to fight amongst themselves and use up their money. And now he is ready to to get on with his life and challenge him on Super Tuesday, where he's been pouring vast resources in. But every time Bloomberg speaks now, there's kind of a ish moment. Listen listen to this. This is Bloomberg today.
1: And uh, she, uh, every day I'd say, what'd you do? And she'd say, well, I played Scrabble today. And I said, who'd you play with? The housekeeper. Uh, Did you win? Yes, of course. And I said, Mother, the housekeeper works for us. She's throwing the the game to you. She said, that's an outrage. And then she finished by saying, and if you learn to play Scrabble, you'd learn how to spell. (laughs) I said, Mother, at my age, I'm never going to learn how to spell.
2: Mother, uh, eh, okay. So Bloomberg's relatable moment this morning is that the housekeeper played Scrabble with his mother and would throw the games for his mom to win that. That's, that's hyper relatable y'all that that's hyper relatable. Now the, the other thing that Bloomberg has said is, is his secret to get ahead is you, you, you you don't take breaks. You don't go to the bathroom and and you work nonstop. And I got to tell you uh, to some degree, I understand that. But at the same time, I'm also hearing that and I'm thinking, um, really people are going to hear this and and they're going to hear you, the billionaire telling them, don't ever take a break. Don't ever go eat lunch. Don't ever go use the bathroom. You just stay and work, 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 work. Even I, a workaholic who loves my job and, and, and would rather work than take vacations thinking, you know, I gotta go pee. I still got to eat lunch. I get hangry if I don't eat lunch. I'm just not sure that Bloomberg is relatable as the Democrats would have him believe. But, but what do we know now? Yeah, I got to play this audio for you. This is a um, this is a protester. And I got to I got to set this for you. This is this is radio. It's not TV. So you can't see this. But it is exactly as you would think it would be. It is exactly what you think would happen. It is an old woman with an oversized knitted striped handbag who has the audacity of getting on stage getting on stage at the at a Bloomberg event and hijacking the microphone it is this old old liberal woman progressive woman and <laughs> listen to this
5: I, I am that excited That is plutocracy.
2: They, they had they had no one at the stairs to block this woman from going up on the stairs at, at the Bloomberg event where Bloomberg was going to speak. And she walks up the stairs, handbag in tow, yelling, this is not democracy, this is plutocracy, this is not democracy, this is plutocracy. She doesn't like Bloomberg trying to to buy the election. She doesn't like it. Uh, She's opposed to it. And... Y'all, I, I, I'm, I am here for this. I am here for this fighting. As the Democrats, who for years have told us money in politics is bad and billionaires are bad, I am, I am here for the Democrats now, uh, fighting amongst themselves and uh, tearing each other apart over the issue of Bloomberg. Uh, speaking of Bloomberg, one more Bloomberg clip.
1: I just talk about fighting climate change. I cut New York City's carbon footprint by 13 percent, and I've helped create a grassroots movement to close more than 300 dirty, polluting coal-fired power plants across this country. <laughs> Green jobs and a greener planet, we can get it done. And we are not going to forget about people who are losing their jobs because of changes in technology, like the coal miners, who have been working very hard. And we're going to come as a country and make sure we retrain and help those who need help.
2: You know, if you tell journalists on social media they need to learn to code, you can get your account blocked by Twitter. I'm not making that up. Uh I'm I'm not making that up. You seriously so a while back I'm sorry. I'm I'm not trying to distract myself, but but I've got like three competing thoughts in my head and battling which one is going to come out of my mouth first this morning. It's one of those days. Uh, <laughs> the weekend can't come soon enough. No, but seriously, uh, you you on social media there was this phenomenon. I'm I'm trying to remember all the details here so I can explain it to you correctly. Um, Democrats for a while and Joe Biden was one of them were telling coal workers in. West Virginia, Ohio, Pennsylvania, that they could learn to code, that if they lost their jobs, these guys could learn to code. They could become computer programmers and they could transition their jobs out of coal mines into computer programming jobs. They actually believed that. Well, when reporters started unionizing at various outlets, uh, from from Gizmodo to the Huffington Post to uh, you name it, uh, the New York Observer and the like, they they began to unionize, and those companies then began to shut down. Their costs got too high. And they had to shut down. They, they couldn't continue to, to adhere to what is essentially uh, robbery from, from their their union goon uh, employee reporter, millennial reporters who didn't actually want to work in one of union benefits. And so they shut down. And a lot of reporters were losing their jobs. And these reporters had all been covering these stories and, and just praising the bravery, uh, the, the huge bravery of, of of Warren and, and Buttigieg and Biden and Sanders and the like telling these coal miners, we're going to put you out of work, but you can learn to code and get a new job. And so conservatives responded to these reporters, telling them, go learn to code. Well, these people started filing complaints with Twitter and getting accounts shut down for daring to have the audacity to tell reporters to learn to code. It was hate speech. They were cheering on their unemployment. And how dare you do that? and yet it's exactly what the Democrats are doing to coal miners in West Virginia. Again, here's Bloomberg.
1: I just talk about fighting climate change. I cut New York City's carbon footprint by 13% and I've helped create a grassroots movement to close more than 300 dirty polluting coal-fired power plants across this country green jobs and a greener planet, we can get it done. And we are not going to forget about people who are losing their jobs because of changes in technology, like the coal miners who've been working very hard. And we're going to come as a country and make sure we retrain and help those who need
2: help. Right, right. So you're going to put them out of work and then you're going to teach them to code in ways reporters don't want to do. I got to tell you, you know, you got to win these swing states. And when your campaign is, I'm going to put half your state out of work, I don't know that that's smart, and the Democrats are convinced it's smart. You know, part of the problem here is is we're dealing with the bubble, the bubble effects, um, and and the bubble effect is that you you got people who are in these jobs in these areas of the country, and Democrats don't like them because they pollute, because they're not clean energy, they're not clean jobs, and we got to do something, we got to transition them, and you're openly going around celebrating the fact you're going to put these people out of work, but hey, we're going to give them money and send them back to school so they can completely reeducate themselves. I don't know that that goes over well in, in some of these areas. And, and, you know, this gets to the overarching issue of uh, they say Donald Trump is authoritarian. They say he's a dictator. and Meanwhile, many of these same Democrats, they praise China. They love the idea of China. They love the authoritarian command and control society. They like the fact that the Chinese can mobilize their economy and redeploy workers as if they are soldiers in a fight. And and you're you're one guy. You could be working the iPhone line, and the next time you could be in a field growing growing a soybean crop to compete with America, and and that's China. And hurrah! And let's build high-speed rail and. Uh, that doesn't. That's not the way the United States works. And and you listen to some of the stuff that comes out about Mike Bloomberg. You listen to some of the audio that comes out involving Mike Bloomberg, and you're thinking, Good Lord, this guy, he is rather out of out of touch, is he not? He actually is kind of. Uh, unable to function in the world in which we leave, uh, lead. And he, they, they, he can't figure out a way to relate to ordinary people. And, and the way he's trying to relate to ordinary people is trash talking Donald Trump. And. I don't know that that works so well. You know, uh, Bloomberg is thinking that he's a New Yorker. Trump is a New Yorker. They can have a New Yorker campaign. Most people don't like New Yorkers. I, I don't know that we're supposed to say that in public. And the media is in a New York, D.C., a or corridor bubble where they don't realize it. But, I mean, do you want to listen to Mike Bloomberg's accent on the campaign trail for a year? Do you want to do that? And you know he is short. This is a friend of mine's theory. He says, how much money has Tom Cruise spent so people never know how short he is? You get him on stage with Donald Trump, who's a tall guy, and Bloomberg suddenly needs a riser against the president. They're going to have one of those slanted stages. So, I mean, you can do like like the the, the Hobbiton uh, camera angles in, in Lord of the Rings where, where the stage is angled so it gives you a distorted perspective so Bloomberg looks like he's Trump's height. I, I don't know how they're going to do it. I'm just not sure. And listen, I, I get it. I, I do. There are Democrats listening to me right now and they're thinking, oh, you're scared of Bloomberg. That's why you're obsessing on Bloomberg. You're you're scared of Bloomberg. You don't you don't want Bloomberg. Uh, we need to vote for Bloomberg, and you're obsessing about Bloomberg because you're scared of Bloomberg and you're trying to tear him down. No, that's actually not it. I, I am actually able to to do some straight analysis here and play it straight. I'm not sure that Bloomberg is the savvy candidate people think he is. He has spent his entire life trying to avoid direct fights in politics, avoiding being on debate stages, and avoiding having to directly confront and and be challenged by other people who who get to asking questions. Because when you do ask Bloomberg questions, Bloomberg comes off as the authoritarian the Democrats say they don't want. And that's one of the deeply hilarious things here is, is that the Democrats are expending themselves on the idea that Donald Trump is some sort of authoritarian dictator. Well, meanwhile, Mike Bloomberg ran New York as if he was a dictator. It's very, very bizarre. Let's go to the phones here. 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. Seth and Roswell, you're up next. Welcome. Hey, Eric. How's it going? Good. How are you? Good. I just had a quick
3: observation kind of question to ask you. And um, according to the insiders that you've talked to, how big is the Bernie constituency? Is it a case where Democrats can't afford to nominate Bernie, yet they can't afford to not nominate Bernie.
2: Uh, you know, uh, honestly, uh, yes. <laughs> um, hey, to your question, let, let me explain why, why I mean yes here. I, I'm not trying to be flippant. Um, Donald Trump won the election with 70,000 votes spread over Wisconsin, Michigan, and Pennsylvania. We now know from some of the detailed exit survey data and some of the the subsequent survey data of Sanders supporters that roughly 90 to 100,000 Bernie Sanders supporters in those states went over and voted for Donald Trump and a significant portion stayed home. Uh, So they arguably helped shift those states to Donald Trump as a protest of Hillary Clinton, some of them sitting at home not going to Hillary Clinton, Uh, So, yeah, I mean, Bernie Sanders supporters do have – the Democrats uh, in in a difficult position where if they don't hand it to him they're true believers. And you got to remember the thing here with true believers is they're single issue voters to to a degree and the single issue on which they're voting is the issue of Bernie Sanders and whether or not Sanders should be the nominee. If they perceive that the Democrats haven't treated him fairly and right now there's a growing sense that the Democrats haven't treated him fairly, uh, then Sanders supporters could either go for Trump or they could sit home. That hands the the vote to Donald Trump whether the Democrats like it or not. They're in a Very difficult position with Sanders supporters. Again, you got to treat Sanders supporters as true believers. Look at the exits in New Hampshire. You had 60% or so of people going to the polls saying they wanted someone who could beat Trump, and 30% going to the polls saying they wanted someone who agreed with them. Those 30% largely in lockstep voted for Bernie Sanders, and the 60% divided the field. Well, if you've got someone who they agree with, you know, believe it or not, on on a number of blue-collar issues, Sanders and Trump actually align fairly well on some of these issues. And if those people sit it out because they think the Democrats screwed Bernie Sanders, well, that's just going to help Donald Trump. And it doesn't help, does not help, that the Democrats want to hand their campaign to Mike Bloomberg, a man who, like Bernie Sanders, is not a Democrat, and they want to do it to stop Bernie Sanders. That's why, by the way, you're going to hear all these people on Fox News start talking about stealing it from Bernie and poor Bernie and the injustice to Bernie, because they're trying to keep Bernie's supporters with a sense of grievance, so that his supporters either don't show up in 2020 or they go vote for Trump. That's gonna matter. Well, the storm front that's rolling through, it's starting to clear out of the the northeast Georgia area. Athens will be clear of it here soon. Middle Georgia, you're still going through it, but it's 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 blowing through now, impacting Albany uh, here very very shortly. Cordill, Tifton, Dublin—you're going to be hit here in just a little while. Uh, Rins, uh, Statesboro—you've got about an hour or so. Vidalia as well—you got about an hour before the front gets to you. Uh, It's moving pretty quickly through the state, though, so things will be clearing out. There's still a severe thunderstorm warning in the Augusta area, Uh, and cooler temperatures coming. My goodness, this weather cannot make up its mind. Y'all know. So I went to that event in Birmingham on on Friday. And it's National Public Radio, the Corporation for Public Broadcasting, asked me last year if I'd participate in this event where you put a uh, well-known conservative partisan on stage with a well-known Democratic uh, progressive partisan on stage. I was there with Latasha Brown, who founded Black Votes Matter, which was the group that organized for Doug Jones in Alabama. She's a progressive community organizer, very, very sweet person. Uh, We had a very good conversation about trying to find common ground in life when you can't find common ground in politics. And, and it was great conversation. Uh, and, and we had a lot of fun. And then I decided it was on a Friday night. And the hotel I was at, I was at a Hilton hotel in downtown Birmingham. And it was right by one of the hospital's. And I get back to my room, it's 8.30 their time, so 9.30 my time, and there's an ambulance and it's so loud, and there was one when I had gotten to the hotel originally that was so loud, and I thought, I'm not going to be able to sleep tonight anyway, I might as well drive home. So I got in my car, Uh, by this time it was about 10 p.m. my time, and I drove home, uh, three and a half hours, three hours, 15 minutes really, traffic wasn't bad at all. And I got home 2.30 in the morning. And I'm glad I did because then the snow came through. And had I been gotten up the next day and tried to drive home, I would have hit the snow and the ice. Uh, and so I got home and there was rain at our house and all of you people in North Georgia were putting pictures on Instagram of snow and I was mad at you. And then it warmed back up and now it's getting cold again. The, the weather cannot make up its mind. I mean, just for example, uh, l- let me pull this up right here. It, it is it, at my house right now. It is sixty-four degrees and raining and, and this was the this was a high for today, which is crazy. Um so it was it was in the 70s when I woke up this morning. This front is blowing through, the temperature is gonna drop now and in, into the mid-sixties. And what's the temperature going to be now tonight? It's, it's going to be cold tonight. And then tomorrow it's going to be 61 for high, 34 for low. And by Saturday it's going to be 50s and 30s. And you get into North Georgia and it's going to be in the 20s. I mean, in Adairsville on Friday night, the low is going to be 28 degrees. In Athens, it'll be 30. Up in Blue Ridge, it's going to be 19 degrees. 19 degrees the weather cannot make up its mind and this this gets into the whole in predict unpredictability of the climate change arguments of there's clearly our 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 weather is weird the climate is weird. Um, the, the role of man versus the role of the sun, the role of natural forces—we we, we can argue it till we're blue in the teeth, and 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 you got all these these nonsensical people out there who just scream at you that you're a denier if you if you admit that the climate is changing, but you refuse to admit it's changing as rapidly or as badly or as terribly or as man-made as they claim it is, but. Our weather is just weird. It needs some Thorazine right now to settle down. Now, when we come back, we got to spend a little more time addressing the Bernie Sanders problem that the Democrats have. But I want to start with adoption reform in Georgia. Just a quick timeout from the show to thank one of my favorite sponsors, one of the products I use on a daily basis, multiple times, that would be my Quip electric toothbrush. And I really am a customer and I really was before they started advertising for me. That's the way I like to do these ads. I like to endorse a product I'm already using. And Quip is one that I use, my wife uses and both of my kids use. And we've used it before I started advertising. They make great electric toothbrushes. They're not the super fancy expensive ones and you get a better clean. Why do you get a better clean? Well, because the quip you brush your teeth for two minutes and it pulses every 30 seconds so you know how to reposition it in your mouth and for those two minutes, Dennis wants you to brush your teeth for two minutes, you get a great clean with great sonic vibrations that really get your teeth clean. And you know, I've got Invisalign braces so I've got those attachments. A lot of stuff gets stuck in them and behind the little attachments and with the Quip, I can always clean my teeth the way they need to be clean. It is a great toothbrush and it's not going to break the bank. It's just well made. You can tell it's made by Dennis and designers together if you go to getquip.com slash erickson right now you can get a quip and you can start with a brush head refill subscription where every three months they send you a new brush head they even include a battery and you get your first refill for free that's your first refill free at getquip.com slash erickson it's g-e-t-q-u-i-p.com slash erickson e-r-i-c-k-s-o-n quip the good habits company Hello and welcome it is Eric Erickson here across the state of Georgia the full number want to be a part of the program 877-97-ERIC that's 877-973-7425 we got some breaking news happening here in Georgia the governor has asked for and received the resignation of Mark McDonough he's Colonel Mark McDonough he is the uh, Commissioner of Public Safety in Georgia Um, the governor has released a statement saying, my family and I thank Colonel McDonough for his dedicated service, leadership and sacrifice. We wish him the very best in the years ahead. Uh, Mark McDonough, the commissioner of public safety, resigning in large part, uh, because of the Georgia state patrol cheating scandal. If you're not familiar with it, the entire 2019 class of the Georgia, uh, state patrol has been fired. Because they all cheated, every single one of them. There were thirty of them, I believe, and they all cheated on the uh, exam for speed detection. In fact, a number of people who got speeding tickets uh, are having those tickets dismissed because the uh, you got to be certified to run the the laser radar speed detection equipment, and they cheated on the exam. So uh, the. The head of the the commissioner of public safety is now resigned uh, at the request of the governor. I want to spend a little bit of time on an issue here in the state uh, and that relevance, uh, I think, to all of us, the governor and the lieutenant governor. Both of them care very passionately about foster care. This is from the AJC. Governor Brian Kemp has begun rolling out several pieces of legislation that aim to overhaul the state's foster care system, starting by encouraging more Georgians to care for children in need by making it easier to hire child care. A trio of bills were filed in the House last week that begin to shape Kemp's plans for the changes he believes need to be made for the state's foster care program. Kemp said after signing last year's legislation that would limit access to abortion in Georgia, he wants to ensure the expected uptick in the number of children being born is taken care of. As a pro-life governor, I'm proud of our efforts to protect the unborn. Now we must champion the most vulnerable among us when they leave the delivery room. So there are three bills. House Bill 912 would allow foster parents to leave children in their care with a babysitter for up to three days without having to get approval from defects. Current law uh, limits it to, to two days. So... Foster parents right now in Georgia can leave a babysitter in charge of their kids for two days. Under House Bill 912, it would be three days. And then there's House Bill 913. It would drop the age for adoptive parents from 25 to 21. Then there's House Bill 911, which would make it illegal for a foster parent to engage in a sexual activity with those in their care, closing a loophole. The legislation sponsor says exists once a child in foster care turns 16. Now, that's a bizarre one. I had no idea. Did you know that um, that, that you're allowed to have sexual relations with a child it, as long as they're consensual with a kid? This is just bizarre, bizarre, bizarre. Ryamid uh, Comzy with the National Youth Advocacy Program says the biggest challenge is the low daily payments, but he welcomes the other changes. Said the goal of the legislation is to build up changes made to the state's adoptive system in 2018. That legislation was focused on reducing adoption waiting times, legalizing the reimbursement of birth mothers for their expenses in private adoption, banning middlemen who profit from arranging adoptions and simplifying out-of-state adoptions. Um, this is good. This is positive, and my understanding is that the Speaker of the House has really hit the brakes on everything, Uh, essentially scuttling the governor's agenda because they're feuding. Maybe that will change when it comes to this because there's some popular popular consent here. But waiting in the wings of all of this— is Marty Harbin's adoption bill in the state Senate, and it's being couched as a religious liberty measure for foster care. And and the uh, I believe it was the ADF, the Anti-Defamation League, I think it was them, came out yesterday and said, if Marty Harbin's legislation passed, it would make it harder to adopt kids in the state. It would, it would reduce the number of adoption agencies. That's garbage. Uh, and let me explain this to you. And I may ruffle some feathers here. I don't intend to, but I may. Kids in foster care in the foster system, particularly those who are in state facilities or being passed from family to family, have a much higher rate of sexual abuse against them. They have much higher rates of crime, much lower rates of literacy, much lower rates of graduation. Uh, Only 11% of them wind up graduating from high school, I believe, or or graduate at at, uh, acceptable reading levels. Again, being in foster care in the state is is not a good thing. And honestly, it's, it's across the country. It's not just here in Georgia. Foster care is not a good system. Kids would rather be with their their birth parents if they can and if they can't be in a loving home, and there just aren't enough people to help. And so there are state institutions, state orphanages where kids are placed who can't who aren't in foster care, who have problems or otherwise. It's not a good system. and the numbers have been growing. If tomorrow an adoption agency started in Georgia and it specialized in placing kids in foster care into the homes of gay families, I would support it. In other words, if if an adoption agency started tomorrow and it specialized in putting kids into same-sex households, I think that would be a good idea. And I know if you, like me, are a Christian, and and you uh, believe in the inerrancy of Scripture and the Word of God, and and you recognize that sin is sin, uh, what you're essentially saying is you're putting kids in a household um, that is full of people living in sin. But guess what? You live in sin, too. You are openly a sinner as well. If you believe in Christian orthodoxy, we all fall short of the glory of God. We're, We're all sinners, whether you're in a gay household or not, and, and you, if you're in a if you're in a heterosexual household, there's no guarantee that that heterosexual household is Christian or going to church. I I am in favor of and I, I'm aware of one adoption agency in the state that specializes in placing kids in Muslim households, and I'm okay with that too. Uh, if you're a Muslim family, you want to adopt a child, you're going to raise that child as a Muslim. I'm okay with that. And you can complain all you want about, uh, well, what about the, the the spirit of the child? What about the soul of the child? You're, you're introducing them to a false god, if you believe that, or 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 in a secular household, no god at all. Okay, they're, they're not doing that in a state-run facility. They're most likely not doing that in a lot of foster care families. They're just being passed from family to family uh, back into an orphanage. that They're not getting their soul nourished there either. A lot of people opposed to these ideas who themselves don't want to be foster families and do what they think is right for the kids. Listen, if, if there's an adoption agency that opens tomorrow and, and only gay couples can use this adoption agency, I'm in favor of it. It's one more agency in Georgia to help get kids out of the system. There's a Muslim agency in town. I am, I am totally, I shouldn't say in town, in, in the state, I am totally in favor of them operating. One more agency to get people out. But of course, that's not what we're dealing with in the state right now. In the state right now, While there is one agency that specializes in Muslim placement, and there are no agencies that specialize in gay placement, there are a multitude of state adoption agencies that specialize in Christian adoption. And I shouldn't say state, they're private adoption agencies in the state of Georgia, but they collaborate with the state to place kids in loving homes, and many of them have faith-based criteria for those families. So, for example, there's a Catholic charity that will place kids in two-parent heterosexual nuclear households. There are a number of Protestant Christian adoption agencies. I'm familiar with several of them, and they want to find um, good Christian families. Some of them will allow kids to go into a single household so long as the, the person's a professing Christian. Some of them require a two-parent heterosexual nuclear household that uh, has a, has a, a statement of, of how they came to the Lord and i'm okay with them operating in the same way i'm okay with a an adoption agency that specializes in in placement in same sex families i'm okay with uh are an adoption being an adoption agency placing kids in a in a heterosexual household where they go to church on sunday i'm okay with it the more agencies we have to get kids out of institutionalized living the better off we will be the better off we will be because the uh, the kids who live in a in a family a loving family who get placed in a family they have better education rates. They have better uh, grade retention rates, better literacy rates, better health care rates, uh, less likely to fall into crime and drugs. Get, get them out of the institutions into loving families. Whether that family is, is straight or gay or Muslim or Christian or Jewish or, or secular, doesn't matter to me. You can deal with the soul issue later. Uh, you put it all on yourself. Never underestimate the power of the Holy Spirit. But there's a problem now, is there not? Because around the country, what we're seeing is, is uh, progressive activists who are intent on shutting down faith-based adoption agencies. In New England, Catholic charities have come under withering state regulation and criticism, uh, and some of them have had to go out of business because the states are demanding that they stop adopting kids To Christian households, that they have to be allowed to work with or have to be mandated to work with same sex couples and singles. And the faith based adoption agencies, the Christian faith based adoption agencies say, wait a second, our biblical sexual ethics say that marriage is between a man and a woman and that uh, children should be placed in a loving heterosexual two parent household. And the states are saying, well, if you can't change, shut down. A number of states have come out and they have said, you know what? The more adoption agencies we have, the better. Texas, Mississippi, Alabama, Louisiana, Oklahoma, Tennessee, and a number of other states have all passed laws protecting faith-based adoption agencies saying you can still work with the state and we will not make you abandon your biblical sexual ethic to do so. We would much prefer to have as many adoption agencies as possible. So we'll have the Christian adoption agencies understanding that a Christian adoption agency is going to work to find a family to place the child who's in state care. And that family is going to be a heterosexual married couple. But we all know it's coming. We all know it's coming. I mean, for Pete's sakes, the, the city of Atlanta fired its police chief for writing a book for his Sunday school class that merely quoted scripture. I've actually read the book. Uh, Kelvin Cochran wrote a book for his Sunday school class, Who Told You You Were Naked? Uh, it was it, It's about sin and, and living a godly life. It was directed to younger black men, and it quoted 1 Corinthians that homosexuality is an adultery or sins. That men and women are made for each other. Men are not made for men, and women are not made for women. Men are made for women. Women are made for men, and that's the way God created it. And that's the way we need to live our lives. And we need to get married, and we need to have kids, and we need to not sleep around. We need to live godly lives. And they fired him a year after writing that book because a lesbian fire chief, or lesbian fire captain who was offended by it a year after it came out complained, and they fired Kelvin Cochran. The city ultimately settled with him. They'd given him permission to write the book and then fired him for writing it. Christian adoption agencies are going to be targeted in Georgia. It's only a matter of time. So Marty Harbin has legislation similar to Texas and Oklahoma and Tennessee that would protect faith-based adoption agencies. And and you know, the spin coming out of the, the alphabet gang is that if this legislation passed, it would reduce the number of avenues for kids to be adopted. Now, all it does is protect the status quo. Right now in Georgia, there are faith-based adoption agencies where if you are not a, a Christian, you cannot go to adopt a child. There is a faith-based adoption agency in Georgia that is Muslim, and you cannot go to get a child adopted from this agency unless you're Muslim. I would be okay with them having one where you had to be gay to adopt a child uh, if you want to work with this place. I, the more the merrier. The, the idea that uh, protecting the status quo will mean there are less avenues for children to be adopted is a flat-out lie. It's not just wrong. It's a lie. It is a distortion. It, It is trying to play on fear. And if you just think about it with common sense, it's dishonest because all we're doing is protecting the status quo. Today, we have X number of agencies. You pass the law. Tomorrow, we have the X number of agencies, and it's the same. X equals X. You're not going to have X equals uh, negative X or, or, or 2X minus whatever. It's not going to happen. You're going to have protect the status quo. You're not going to reduce the number of agencies with which someone can go to adopt. But if you don't pass it, and these Christian adoption agencies are targeted, many of them are going to go out of business, because part of them being in business is they believe it's a ministry opportunity. They believe it's a way to share the gospel. They believe it is a vocation, the doctrine of vocation. You're to glorify God in all that you do. And God says that marriage is between a man and a woman, and you want a heterosexual two-parent nuclear household that goes to church to adopt the child, to find a a stable family. And we should be celebrating that. But the Alphabet Gang has decided it is more important— to reduce the number of adoption agencies than it is to allow Christians to live out their life and adopt kids. The, the alphabet gang is so worried that a child might be adopted into a Christian household and go find out that God thinks homosexuality is a sin in church, um, then they, they want to shut them down. And I think they should be protected. I think a gay adoption agency should be protected. A Muslim one should be protected. A Christian one should be protected. A secular one should be protected. I think we should have as many legitimate good adoption agencies in this state as possible. And frankly, if our state legislature says they want to improve... Uh, foster care and adoptions and make it easier to adopt in the state. They should be protecting these agencies because it's not a matter of if this is going to happen in Georgia when when if they're going to come try to shut them down it's a matter of when they're going to try to shut them down because they're already doing it on the west coast they're already doing it in New England and don't ever say it can never happen in Georgia. The city of Atlanta fired its police chief for writing a book for his Sunday school class don't tell me they won't come eventually to try to shut down adoption agencies in the state the mere fact that you have gay rights activists in the state of Georgia right now trying to shut them down trying to show up and, and and cause problems for them and trying to block legislation to protect them tells you everything you need to know Good for Marty Harbin from Tyrone, Georgia he's a state senator trying to pass this legislation and shame on our legislature for not recognizing we should have as many avenues as possible to adopt kids and that includes faith-based adoption agency you know so I mentioned if you weren't here in the first hour I mentioned the the problem of the expert. In our society now, they've cried wolf for so long on so many things. People don't take them seriously. Uh, and uh, we see this, whether it's it's climate change or whether it's it's the presidency, you name it. We have Western elite in, in this country and others. They scream bloody murder about all sorts of things. Those things don't come to pass. And over time, you just can't take them seriously on anything anymore. There's a great example of this. Jonah Goldberg is, is highlighting this on Twitter right now. It is a story from Bloomberg, Asia. I will read you the tweet from Bloomberg, Asia. Kim Jong-un dreamed of turning North Korea into a skiing paradise. Now those plans are melting away due to climate change. Yep, as, as Jonah accurately notes, were it not for climate change, the homicidal cult leader of an impoverished pariah state would totally have nailed this plan to create a posh ski resort. See, I, I'm sorry, but when, when I hear stories like this, I think, how can anybody take climate change seriously? How, how can anybody take any of this stuff seriously? The, the siren call of the elite climate change is going to ruin us all. And you know, I'm sorry. And this makes people mad, but I don't really care about the issue. And to the extent that I talk about it with with, with passion and, and some would argue venom, it's because I am angry that people want me to care about it. You know, I wrote a book called You Will Be Made to Care. And in the book, I talked about how the left insists that you take a stand on issues. And this one was particular. That one was transgenderism and homosexuality. You got to take a stand. Uh, They won't let you sit on the sidelines. And if you take the wrong stand, uh, they're going to try to silence you, censor you, destroy you. And that's what we're. You will be made to care on climate change as well. You will be made to care. You you will be told that you must care. And if you don't care, you will be silenced. You will be treated as a pariah. There was actually a story uh, in Forbes the other day, Forbes magazine. I know. It's still around. Uh, Forbes magazine the other day had a story. I can't remember now who it's by. Um, Oh, what's his name? I know his name and it's on the top of my head. I I can't remember anyway. Uh, and, And the whole point of the story was that There are a number of academics in the United States who support climate change, who are noted researchers who believe climate change is real, but have rejected the idea that it's going to happen as bad as as others say, it's going to be as devastating to the world as others say, and we're all going to die. They reject that. And so do you know what's happened? They're being blackballed in academia as being climate change deniers for having the audacity to believe in climate change, but reject the hysteria. Is it any wonder most Americans see through this? By the way, on a, on a Pew survey of issues, climate change is second from the last in issues people care about. I, I got to say, it, it is kind of funny. Let, let's get back into some politics here nationally. It's kind of funny to watch Elizabeth Warren now floundering around. No idea why she's doing badly.
0: And grassroots donations. People who are saying, stay in this race, fight this race, because they get it.
5: Do you have a sense of of why that message, which is the message you gave in New Hampshire, didn't resonate?
0: You know, I I don't. Uh, But I can tell you this. I can tell you that it's what I fight for. And I'm going to get out there and keep fighting for it and keep talking about it. I think we're in a very frothy place right now. But do keep in mind, we've only heard from two states. We got 98 states and territories 98 percent of our states and territories left to go uh that uh that means we've got a lot coming up
2: you know i mean she's right on that but i don't know that she's gonna gain any traction and as she's floundering around it's very interesting now that they're they're being less respectful of her they're asking tougher questions on tv she for so long was the the candidate the media loved i mean listen to this exchange with chris chris hayes on MSNBC with Elizabeth Warren about the Department of Justice stuff.
1: You have proposed a a task force where you'd be elected president at the Department of Justice to look retroactively at at the possible criminal conduct among the Trump administration. Some people I saw today criticizing you for essentially doing the thing that you're criticizing, right? This would essentially be using the Justice Department to pursue political vendettas. What do you say to that?
2: there there's no reason to, to answer to let her answer i mean she denies it of course she tries to come up with a way but it's just it's fascinating to watch and then you've now got uh charlemagne the god a very very influential uh on youtube and, and the like within the black community and he's on CNN. i want to play this exchange on cnn with him uh because increasingly Bloomberg is going to have to have to deal with this stuff, uh, when it comes to race relations and what he's done for the black community. And now the reason I do this, there is a report, it just dropped on the wire. Um, Here's the headline from Politico. Major black donors unconvinced by 2020 candidates. Black donors and business leaders have a problem with the Democratic presidential field. No one is doing enough to earn their support, they say, or or to build a durable relationship with black voters for the primary and general election. These concerns have spilled out in awkward exchanges in recent weeks as a 2020 Democrat courted black donors in New York City. It's a community that threw significant support to Kamala Harris and Cory Booker before they dropped out of the presidential race. And while a large number of them have ties to former President Barack Obama, many remain unconvinced by Joe Biden. But none of the alternatives, particularly Pete Buttigieg, have gained much traction either. According to interviews with 10 prominent donors and operatives, the situation is sparking anxiety because the donors are increasingly concerned. The tepid outreach they've experienced from the campaigns shows the candidates are unprepared to motivate black voters an essential piece of the Democratic base the party nominee will need to defeat President Donald Trump. They find Buttigieg's stumbles over policing in his hometown troubling and they say he has trouble relating on an emotional level mike bloomberg has a damning legacy to overcome on stop and frisk policies even as he reaches out to the black community and puts forward major policy proposals that some find promising when biden campaign manager greg schultz traveled to new york in january to hold a campaign briefing with current and potential donors one attendee told schultz he believed black voters would ultimately support biden so long as they thought he was the winning candidate according to two people with knowledge of the conversation well here's Charlemagne the god uh, with Aaron burnett Uh, this is this is about two minutes but i want to play this because it, it really sets the stage on these conversations within the black community
0: tonight joe biden reassuring supporters that his campaign is still on track after fourth and fifth place finishes in iowa and new hampshire biden telling donors in a conference call today that his campaign will gain ground once black and latino voters have had their say in nevada and south carolina out front now Charlemagne the God, host of the radio show The Breakfast Club. It's been a must-stop for candidates on the campaign trail. And also, you are a South Carolina native. Yep. As you What's were saying, man? you were just there. You're going down again this weekend. Yep. So Joe Biden is telling, uh, it got, gets on the phone today with donors and says, look, don't worry, we're in a good position. We're going to turn things around once black voters have had their say uh, in South Carolina, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, he keeps talking about South Carolina. Do you think he's right?
4: Um, Possibly. I mean, old, old black people in South Carolina do love Joe Biden, but I mean, I would have to ask black voters the question, like, you know, why do the old white men, you know, who have the most racist legislation towards black people, why are they, you know, the top two front runners when it comes to black support? You know, Joe Biden and, and Bloomberg. You know, I would, I, would, I would ask that question, especially now if I was a black voter. And nobody likes a loser, right? You saw what happened to him in Iowa.
0: Well, that's the thing. People like, right. So what happened to him
4: in New Hampshire? I don't know. Fourth and fifth place finishes?
0: So the question is how that will change the polls. I mean, obviously, the latest poll from Quinnipiac, he is um, leading overall with black voters by 27%. Obviously, you're making it clear. You're not supporting Biden at this point. But what do you think it is about him as to why he is maintaining that hold, Charlemagne?
4: I mean, I just I think it's the Barack Obama effect. I think it's the fact that he was, you know, Barack Obama's vice president, you know? But I think a lot of younger voters have been, you know, a lot of younger black voters have been doing their due diligence, doing their research, and they're aware of, you know, the 94 crime bill, and they're aware of the 86 yeah. crack laws, and I think that that is a big strike against him. And it's a strike that he hasn't really apologize for you know it's more of a oh well the 94 crime bill didn't cause mass incarceration you know and he still kind of like holds on to, to those to those things and even we all know the best apology is change behavior but more importantly the best apology for you know Biden or Bloomberg is uh to me a black agenda like
2: a black agenda and they don't have one yeah <laughs> you know who has one that would be the president of the United States he's got an increasingly has a black agenda now, you may not like me saying that, but you can't deny it. The president is out doing his best, trying to to woo black voters. I want to go back again. I played this earlier. Let me find these clips. This is from um, November. The president of the United States came to Atlanta, Georgia, to woo black voters the president wanted to make an extended pitch to them. I want to play you an extended clip of what the president had to say. Because you just heard Charlemagne the God, who, again, he's got a deeply influential show that has been a must stop for every single candidate in the race. Every single candidate running in the Democratic primary, I think maybe I think they've all been, they've all been on his show. Highly influential. And he's saying they have no agenda for the black community. Here's a man who clearly thinks he has one.
5: You've stayed so long, to be honest. It almost becomes a habit, right? It's a habit, like it's, oh, we vote for a Democrat. Nobody knows why they vote for a Democrat. Look, if they don't do the job, you switch. You gotta switch, and some progress has been made like never before, perhaps, in such a short period of time. But under this administration, all of that has changed, and it's changing even faster now. We're undoing the damage inflicted by decades of corrupt Democrat rule and creating a historic tide of new opportunity and prosperity. We've done more for African Americans in three years than the broken Washington establishment has done in more than 30 years. we've created 6.7 million new jobs since the election a number that if i would have said that to the fake news media back there look at all those cameras if i would have said that now if i would have said that during the campaign i would have been excoriated they would have gone wild how dare he make 6.7 million new jobs think of that since the election last month the african-american unemployment rate reached the lowest level Ever recorded in the history of our country (laughs) how do you lose that argument in a debate right the african-american youth unemployment this was so important to me you remember how high it was 60 70 percent has now reached the lowest number ever recorded in the history of our country doing really well the african-american poverty rate has reached an all-time historic Low, lowest it's ever been. For the first time ever, most new hires of prime working age are minorities and women. First time that's ever happened. Wages are rising really fast, up 9% since the election, a number that was unthinkable. And they're rising fastest for low-income workers. Proportionately, they're rising the fastest for the low-income worker. Who would have thought this was going to happen? Almost 2.5 million Americans have been lifted out of poverty since my election, including 150,000 African American children. 150,000, its a lot. See, when I hear 150,000, a lot of people don't know what it means. You know what it means to me? We fill up Yankee Stadium three times. Three, that's a lot of people. To bring investment to neglected communities, we've cut a record number of job-destroying regulations more than any administration in history, even though we've been here for a short while by comparison.
2: This clip goes on for another minute and a half. There's no reason to keep going, but this is his message to the black community. And the rest of them don't. Now, listen, I realize a lot of you out there and I used to be this way. So I, I understand it. A lot of you out there are thinking, well, why, why do we need a a an agenda for the black community? We don't have a white agenda. I, I know there are people out there who think about that. Um, I used to think about that. And honest to goodness, uh, the answer is because... Uh, by and large, in this country, you, you benefit economically, you, you have an economic plan, and it benefits you. Well, it is perceived by some as being uh, beneficial to the white economy and white people, uh, and it is largely a situation where we have become so bifurcated in this country in class and segments of society uh, that you go off and you speak to large crowds of white folks, that there's a there's a smattering of Hispanic and black people in the crowd, uh, but you're not actually focused on on the black community and talking about how those policies address the black community. And you got to. And the reason you have to is because for decades, that's how Democratic candidates have talked to black voters. And if you want to make real inroads into the black community, you're going to have to engage at their level on their terms of debate. And that is going to be explaining to them not how you're creating brand new policies for them, but how your existing policies benefit them. And that's what the president's trying to do. And you don't need a per se black agenda. What you do need is an agenda that you can go to and talk to the black community and explain that based on their experiences in life, that agenda is going to work for them, too. And Republicans have been very bad about doing that. Uh, And then you've got the president contrast with mike bloomberg this audio the opposition file just coming out this is from 2013 again this stuff's been sitting out there and now it's starting to drip 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 out and i believe a lot of this stuff is coming from democrats not republicans here's bloomberg
1: for them to do this is just such an outright disgrace how they can look themselves in a mirror knowing they are hurting deliberately the life expectancy and the quality of life for the people that they're supposed to serve
0: Health officials argue the ban is reasonable and needed to fight the country's growing obesity problem. It is set to take effect in March.
2: I didn't tell you what that was intentionally because I wanted you to hear Bloomberg himself. Listen to it again. I'm playing the entire news clip. This is this is a news clip from New York. Yeah, I, I will tell you what it's about, but you got to listen one more time to Bloomberg. He's talking, now I'll tell you the second time, he's talking about the NAACP. The NAACP, that's who Bloomberg is talking about. For them
1: to do this is just such an outright disgrace how they can look themselves in a mirror knowing they are hurting deliberately the life expectancy and the quality of life for the people that they're supposed to serve.
2: They're hurting the life expectancy and the quality of life of the people who are hurt the most by this. Do you know what he's talking about? Why is he blasting the NAACP? Because they opposed his big gulp ban, remember Bloomberg attempted a ban on large soft drinks. You're not allowed to have unlimited refills, and you're not allowed to have giant big gulps and Bloomberg attacked the NAACP for opposing it. Why? Because in Bloomberg's interest, they were hurting the people they were there to serve. They were the hurting the people most hurt by the big gulp. In other words, Black people were drinking too many big gulps, and Bloomberg was going to ban them to save the lives of black people. That doesn't really translate well. And that's part of Bloomberg's problem that his campaign needs to understand they've got to overcome. And that is that he doesn't talk like he relates to normal people. He doesn't. And if we could make a local point here, Kelly Leffler, you notice she hadn't done any big media tours yet? Our, our newest senator in Georgia, she hadn't done any major media tours. She's done some, but she hasn't done a lot. And you know why? Because she's not ready for prime time. And I don't mean that disparagingly. And I think people on on our, on our campaign would it would acknowledge that she needs to find a way to connect to your average voter out there in a way that relates to them, and she now lives a lifestyle like Bloomberg that doesn't necessarily translate to relatability. Bloomberg doesn't either, but Bloomberg thinks he relates. At least the Leffler team is smart enough to realize that she needs to reconnect to her farmer roots and to be able to talk about stuff in ways that relates to people, as opposed to Bloomberg, who he's blasted the NAACP for opposing the Big Gulp, and now today his relatability factor is that his housekeeper loses intentionally at games of Scrabble so his mother feels like she wins. That That's how he's relating to people on the campaign trail today. He actually did that this morning. How is any of this stuff relatable? Okay, um, I, I, I need to I need to get to this story that's beginning to circulate. Uh, so uh, Hope Hicks is coming back to the White House. She's going to go work with Jared Kushner, not in the communications office. When she was there the last time she was the communications director, Maggie Haberman of the New York Times, who's a great reporter, but I, I think is kind of... No, another one of the reporters kind of broken by the president, I guess. Uh, She says, what's happening today is part of Kushner consolidating power. This all further weakens Mulvaney and is part of Trump's post-impeachment, pre-impeachment effort to make over the government in his image. Uh, Johnny McEntee, the aide removed by John Kelly over security clearance issues, who recently returned to the West Wing, is expected to take over the office uh, that oversees presidential personnel appointments. Can you blame the president for this, given the number of people? within the administration have been out to undermining the careerists you know for example did you realize that one of the uh one of the the prosecutors in the Roger Stone matter who resigned is being heralded as a hero of the media, a careerist within the Department of Justice. He was actually an Obama appointee. He was a a Democratic partisan who Obama brought into the White House, and he stayed and became a careerist. This is one of the things people tend to forget in these conversations. When you're a partisan political appointee in an administration, you can convert to the career civil service and stay. And a lot of Obama's team decided at the last minute to convert and stay as career civil servants, and they been trying to undermine the president ever since. So you bring back in Johnny McEntee to make sure the president's not surrounded by a bunch of Obama holdovers, now careerists in the civil service, who are going to light him on fire, try to throw him under the bus, much like some of these people did. The whistleblower, for example. On top of that, you've got the um, you you've got uh, Kushner now consolidating power saying this is weakening Mulvaney look everybody knows Mark Meadows is coming in to take over from Mulvaney. Mark Meadows is going to be the next White House chief of staff. Mulvaney is going to step aside. I don't know when, but the idea that that Kushner is consolidating power to undermine Mulvaney if the president wants Mulvaney gone he's gone. The president wants Hope Hicks back, and he wants Jared Kushner to have power because of 2020. It has nothing to do with reshaping the presidency in his image. He could do that with Mulvaney. This is all about campaign 2020. This is all about the, the willingness of the president to be surrounded With people who were on the campaign in 2016, because he's somewhat superstitious, he wants the band back together. And that's what he's doing. This, I got to tell you, one of the worst phenomena of our present age is that so many reporters have been broken by the president in one way or another, that every single story is written through the lens of Trump derangement syndrome. Every single story is written as the president's out to get this person or that person, the president's out to break this person or that person, the president's out to undermine this person or that person, uh, the president's doing something wrong. You, you never hear stories about the president doing something right. And on the left, there is a fundamental belief that the president can't do anything right, but he actually is doing a lot of things right. Right. But here's the other thing. All of these people who told us the president was going to be impeached and he was going to – listen, I thought it was going to be a bipartisan acquittal. I really did. Uh, one or two acquittal. I, I assumed Joe Manchin would vote for acquittal. There's actually a story that he may endorse the president's reelection now, having voted to impeach him. I really did think there would be one or two Democrats who would go along with with uh, acquitting the president. I was surprised there weren't. Um, but uh, by and large, you, you know, we knew it was going to follow along party lines. Even if it was one or two Democrats, it was going to mostly be party lines. And everybody knew what would happen if the president was acquitted, and everyone knew the president was going to be acquitted. And all of this is the logical fallout of an impeachment that failed. Everyone should have known it was going to happen. And they didn't because they only want to view things through Trump derangement syndrome. That's why they keep being surprised by the antics of this president. Everybody disappoints me.